Well, this morning we're in John chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 21. And our title is The Good Shepherd and His Sheep. I wonder what ideas come to mind when you think of sheep and shepherds. Maybe you think of sheep wandering on the side of a Scottish mountain, or a farmer on his quad bike bringing food to the sheep in winter, or maybe the sheepdog trials on TV and the way the shepherd rounds up the sheep into the pen by whistling to his dog. Or perhaps it's actually the Shaun the Sheep movie that you think of. Well, the people listening to Jesus teach in John chapter 10 had the advantage that shepherds were part of their everyday life. Uh, Seeing shepherds wandering about with sheep on the fields or even through the streets of the city would probably have been a frequent occurrence. Subsistence farming, a few animals, few cattle, that was probably how most people made their living. It also helps to realize that shepherding in Israel was quite different from sheep farming in Scotland. Flocks were smaller. There was much closer relationship with the sheep. The shepherd knew the sheep individually and stayed on the hillside with the sheep nearly all the time. And rather than drive the flock using a dog or, or, you know, zooming around on a quad bike behind them, the shepherds in Israel went ahead of the flock. They walked in front, calling to the sheep to follow. And the sheep followed the leading shepherd because they knew him and they knew that the shepherd was there to look after them. So with that in mind, let's have a look at what Jesus says. John chapter 10, verses 1 to 6 to begin with. And my first heading, the image of sheep and shepherds. And this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, following on from their reaction to the healing of the man born blind. John chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And I'm going to pause there for just a moment. So Jesus here is introducing this image of sheep and shepherds, a metaphor, a figure of speech, verse 6, a way of communicating gospel truth using an image drawn from everyday life. And he's speaking to the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, presumably continuing his conversation from the end of chapter 9. The Pharisees have asked, are we blind too? And Jesus has told them that their guilt remains. In fact, he goes now to suggest that they are not true shepherds of the flock of Israel. They are false shepherds, or worse still, they are thieves and robbers stealing from the sheepfold for their own benefit. You know, behind this chapter today and this image of sheep and shepherds lies a whole stack of of Old Testament passages For instance, there's nothing new in the idea that Israel's leaders are failing to shepherd the flock that was under their care, that the Old Testament prophets repeatedly brought that accusation against the godless leaders. Isaiah 56, God declares, Israel's watchmen are blind. They are shepherds who lack understanding. 
They all turn to their own way. They seek their own gain. Or Ezekiel 34, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Or Jeremiah 23, woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. And Zechariah 11, woe to the worthless shepherds who desert the flock. Yet in in contrast to the failings of Israel's leaders, the Old Testament speaks of God as a good shepherd and even of, of a coming shepherd who will look after his flock. The famous words of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Or Psalm 80 addresses God as shepherd. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. And words from Isaiah again. It's time chapter 40. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So there's lots of Old Testament background to this chapter that we're looking at today. Leaders who are worthless under shepherds, and God as the true shepherd. Admittedly, Jesus mixes up the metaphor in different ways, as will she, but, but it, it's still the same basic message. The Jewish leaders have failed or are failing in their role as under shepherds, they were, that's seen particularly in the way that they've dealt with the man who was born blind. And so in Christ, God, the true shepherd, is intervening. Let's have a look together then a bit more closely at what Jesus says in this passage. Verse 1, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. We think that sheep pens in those days had, had uh, tall, solid walls around them, uh, perhaps even built at the side of the house. And, and sometimes a pen might have contained more than one flock, the animals of various owners or shepherds. And sometimes there was, a, there was a gatekeeper whose job it was to let the shepherds in and out of the pen to collect their animals. So if a person climbed instead over the wall, then clearly they weren't supposed to be there. They were intent on stealing, taking what wasn't theirs, out for their own gain and benefit. But verse 2, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. As in, the, the gatekeeper recognizes that this is a shepherd who belongs there, that he's got sheep in this pen, so he lets him in. Verse 3 continues, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That probably seems quite a strange idea to us when we're used to seeing sheep in Scotland. But in Israel, a shepherd called to his sheep. You know, he didn't use a dog to drive the sheep or get behind them and prod them with a stick. No, he, he called, he spoke. And the sheep recognized the shepherd and followed him. So that, that those sheep in the pen that belonged to the shepherd followed him out through the gate. And the shepherd then led them out into the pasture, and he, and he, he led the, the flock to where there was green pasture and quiet waters. That's what verse 4 says. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But, and here's the contrast, verse 5, they will never follow a stranger. 
In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. There's the contrast. The sheep know the shepherd. They don't know the stranger. And so the true sheep of Israel will only follow the true shepherd. I have to admit that this passage certainly improves my impression of sheep. Uh, if I have anything to do with sheep, they're usually out on the mountainside, and it's usually that one of them's got stuck in a fence in front of me, or they're all running around all over the place, and it doesn't look as if they've got a clue what they're doing. And yet the illustration in these verses seems to suggest that sheep are, in fact, intelligent enough to know and follow a shepherd. And I think they've maybe even done research and stuff, but that's apparently what happens in Israel. Perhaps that's the point, though. At times, we are like sheep in that we all go astray, we we turn to our own way, and we behave in total foolishness. But we have the capacity to recognize the true shepherd and follow him. Maybe that's why the image of, of sheep and shepherds connects with us. As I said earlier, Jesus really mixes the whole metaphor up in this chapter. Verse 7 now, he switches to talking about the gate. Jesus, the gate for the sheep, verses 7 to 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus has shifted the metaphor from shepherd and gatekeeper to the gate itself. The gate is there to protect the flock. It's thought that sometimes if there was a sheep pen that didn't actually have a literal gate, then the shepherd would lie down across the opening to the pen and act as the gate, preventing the sheep from getting out in the middle of the night or from the wild animals from getting in. Jesus says, verse 8, that the false religious leaders and messianic pretenders who've come before him are thieves and robbers. They've not been there for the benefit of the flock, but for themselves. However, the true shepherd of, the, the true sheep of God have not listened to them. They haven't recognized their shepherd's voice. Jesus, in contrast, is there to protect the sheep and provide for the sheep. He is the gate in that the way into eternal life is through him. Whoever enters through Jesus, verse 9, will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. In contrast to to those who have come to steal and destroy, Jesus has come that the sheep may have life. He's come to provide for them, to take care of them, to lead them into good places where they can feed. It's more than just a you know, a, a survival existence, a sort of scraping by on poor desert life vegetation. No, no, rather, verse 10, it's life to the full, abundant life. I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Those are such beautiful words. Jesus has not come to make life difficult for us. He hasn't come to take away good things or to, to stop us doing all the things that we might enjoy. Sometimes uh, people who are not Christians think that the Christian life is just dull and boring with its lists of rules and regulations to follow, oppressive, restrictive. 
But that's not what Jesus says. He says he's come to give us life in all its fullness, abundant life. Yes, yes, indeed, there are things that Jesus tells us are not good for us and, and ways of living that he, he wants to protect us from. But he does so, so that we might enjoy a healthy life to be healthy sheep feeding in, in good pastures, to continue in the analogy. He comes to save us, verse 9, to save us from our sins, to rescue us from darkness, to give us spiritual life, through his death on the cross, all, all these things that we've been thinking about over the last few months. And ultimately, we are looking forward as Christians to eternal life with him, abundant, eternal living in the renewed creation. We have life, life in all its fullness, forever. Here's the next little section, verses 11 to 13. Jesus, the good shepherd, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Again, there's a slight shift in metaphor there. Jesus contrasts shepherds and hired hands. The hired hand doesn't own the ship. He, he's, just, he's just paid to look after them. They're not his personal property or his investment. And so if the wolf comes along and attacks the flock, the hired man runs away. He doesn't risk his life. He doesn't even risk getting a nasty bite for the sake of a sheep. But the shepherd, by contrast, is personally invested. These are his sheep. He cares for them. He's going to do whatever he can to protect them. You know, he doesn't, of course, intend to get himself killed, but he's prepared to risk his life to, to drive away the wolf from the flock. What's interesting, though, is that Jesus goes further, verse 11. Not only is he the shepherd, he is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The sheep are in mortal danger. And the good shepherd willingly lays down his life to save them. And as Christians, we know that that is exactly what Jesus the shepherd has done. He's willingly laid down his life to save us, to rescue us from the coming judgment. We all, like sheep, had gone astray. Each of us had turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God the Father placed on God the Son the sin of the world, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He laid down his life to save us. Verse 14 to 16, Jesus knows the sheep. Jesus knows his sheep, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus here again emphasizes that his sheep know his voice. 
And you know, the implication throughout these verses this morning is that there are sheep who do not belong to the Good Shepherd, who don't recognize His voice or His leading. But there are sheep who belong to Jesus and follow His leading. And notice verse 16 also, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep hole. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Uh, not of the sheepfold. Presumably that means not of the Jewish people, not Jewish by race. So Jesus has sheep that are not in the Jewish sheepfold. He, he has Gentile sheep. I must bring them also, says Jesus. He's the good shepherd of the whole people of God, Jew and Gentile together. And the Gentile sheep also listen to the voice of Jesus and follow him, and he makes us into one flock under one shepherd. The Apostle Paul, writing to Gentiles, non-Jewish Christians, in the Ephesian church says that at one time they were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise. But now in Christ Jesus, they who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one. He has created in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Jesus is the good shepherd who knows his sheep, both Jew and Gentile sheep, like us. Here's the next thing we notice from this chapter, verses 17 and 18. Jesus is loved by the Father. He's loved by the Father. You know, that, of course, has been a big emphasis throughout John's gospel. That's nothing new. We've heard that already. Jesus has talked about his relationship to God the Father. He's come from the Father. He's been sent from the Father. He speaks the words of the Father, uh, and he makes the Father known. And at least a couple of times now, he said that the Father loves the Son. Verse 17, Jesus now explains why. Verse 17, the reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. A good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but he does so willingly. And he does so according to his timing and purpose. You know, when they nail God the Son to the cross, it won't be because they finally managed to catch up with him, but rather because Jesus has chosen to lay down his life. Verse 18, he has the authority to lay it down and to take it up again, which presumably is a reference to the resurrection. He will willingly give up his life, but he will take it up again, rising triumphant on the third day. And as the son willingly does that, he obeys the command of the father and he demonstrates his complete oneness of purpose with the father. He does exactly what his father desires because that's what he desires. And hence, the Father and the Son demonstrate their love for one another and their complete agreement as to what is needed. Jesus is going to lay down his life for the sheep, for you and for me. I do find that quite sobering, don't you? Don't you? God the Son deliberately chose to enter our world. He chose to become incarnate. He, he made himself nothing. 
taking the very nature of a servant and and becoming a human being. He chose to lay down his life. He humbled himself and was obedient to the Father unto death, even death on a cross. A cross. That instrument of torture and humiliation. Why? For the sake of you and me. For the sheep who had gone astray and who needed to be brought back into the sheep pen. The Jews who were listening were divided, verses 19 and 21. The listeners were divided. Verse 19, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Again, these different reactions to what Jesus is saying. And verse 21 reminds us that these words are following on from Jesus' healing of the blind man. He has opened the eyes of the blind man so that he can see, but these Jewish religious leaders remain blind. Some of them think that he's demon-possessed, raving mad. Others think that he can't be demon-possessed since he's done such an impressive miracle, but they don't believe in him. They're not sure who he is, but they don't recognize his voice. They're not the sheep of his flock. What about you today? Do you know the voice of the Lord Jesus? Are you following the Good Shepherd? Are you experiencing His care and the fullness of life that comes from Him? Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus says also, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Have you entered through the gate and been saved? Have you, are you finding fullness of life in Christ? If not, is it because you're looking in the wrong place or trying to supplement it with the wrong things or or because you don't realize the abundant life that is found in him? Are you remembering with gratitude that he laid down his life for you? Are you grateful that he knows you and cares for you and that he wants you to grow to know him more? I thought as I finished this morning, I would just do so by reading the words of Psalm 23 because I think this Old Testament Psalm in some ways sums up what we've been thinking about this morning and and just beautifully expresses all the benefits of having God, having Jesus as our good shepherd and reminds us that we come under his loving care and protection, every one of us, as we trust in him. Whatever the dark and difficult places you're facing this morning, 
Jesus is the good shepherd. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.